Good morning, everybody. Sorry I'm a little late. I couldn't get the TV working, so we're good now. Nice to see you all on this beautiful rainy day. I'm glad you made it safe. If you want, we'll uh, stand, pray, and praise God. Father, we love you. Uh, we love you in the sunshine, the rain, and the soon-to-be snow. You're, <laughs> yeah. You're good in all of it, and we praise you, God. We love you. Uh, we give this time to you. As we sing these songs, as we hear your word, I uh, pray that we focus in on you and growth today. Um, we love you, God. We put you first in everything. May you be the center of everything we do and the reason why we do it. Uh, so we just pray for ourselves uh, to, to hear you, praise you, pray for Leonard as he preaches, um, that your word flows through him, God, and that we have ears to hear. We praise you and thank you for this time. Take and shield me. 
time just the voices will make it personal be the, my center oh Christ be the center of be the center of my life 
be the place I fix my eyes, be the center of my life. One more time, just as a prayer. Oh, Christ. Thanks, you guys. That was awesome. Well, hopefully, uh, as we gather today, Christ is more and more uh, in the front and center and less and less on the periphery. I mean, that is why we're called to gather every week and keep the habit of that going and the routine uh, baked into our lives because uh, it's easy to get distracted, isn't it? Um, if uh, there's anything that uh, ever typified an ADHD moment, it's, uh, it's the modern way of life. Uh, they say that there are more and more cases of ADHD out there than there ever have been. And I'm sure if you're a teacher, you're like, yeah, that's very true. Uh, but uh, there is uh, an intentionality that we have to bring to bringing things into, into focus. And, and hopefully today as we gather for worship, uh, we can focus on the source of everything that is good about our lives, and that, of course, is our Lord Jesus. And if you're here for him, we're glad to have you with us. And uh, if you're seeking, we hope that he can show himself to you in a way that's meaningful and um, you'll find life changing. Uh, but before we get into all of that, uh, I just want to offer a few announcements, and we'll go into some prayer concerns. And then after that, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll jump back into the book of Daniel uh, chapter 3. Uh, so next Sunday, hopefully the weather will be good and the conditions will be favorable and it'll be perfect. Uh, we are gathering for a fall festival. And uh, on, the, um, on your announcements, there's certainly more details about that, but there's also activities happening. And one of them is, I was just asked this morning, are you judging the pie? Uh, is it the pie baking contest? which will be, as a judge, the pie-eating contest. So um, it's a sacrifice that uh, I was willing to make for you guys. And, um, you know, nothing but the best for you. Uh, so keep that in mind if you're going to uh, join us. Maybe that is a pathway that uh, you want to engage with. But it uh, should be a lot of fun. It's just nice to gather, to be honest with you. This time last year, I was kind of triggered because this is when I COVID hit me, and I'm like, oh. And now I'm thinking, you know what? It's good to be a year out. But it is still happening for people, and we need to pray for them as well, but we'll get to that. Um, so uh, coming up Wednesday, we have our events committee meeting. And uh, one of the things that uh, is coming up, Rachel, you mentioned something about pies. Okay. 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 So translate what we're trying to create here is a place where if God is nudging you to get engaged, uh, this is a path right here that you can uh, find um, 
uh, yourself among a lot of other people who are seeking to be uh, involved in the planning and, and basically the execution of uh, some pretty cool events coming up. Uh, so we need, if God is saying, hey, you know what, you need to do that, then you know what, you need to do that because God said it. So there you go. That's pretty sound reasoning, isn't it? So there's, uh, there's that, and our hope is that if God has given gifts to the church, which is every person in the church, then those gifts are designed to be used for service uh, for the church, for the kingdom, for the community, for everything that God is doing. And if that happens, then our church is doing what we're supposed to be doing. Um, so with that said, uh, let's move into prayer concerns a little bit. Josh wanted me to mention uh, his mom, mom and dad uh, have COVID right now, and uh, we just want to lift those guys up uh, in, in our prayers. And anybody else that you know that's been going through that, some of them for the first time, and, and that's really rough. Uh, so please just keep that in mind, and anybody you know that's in that, in that, in that uh, category, I guess. Um, also want to mention uh, some, some different people that are grieving right now. My friend Roger, whose uh, father passed away uh, just a while back, um, he uh, was able to be with him, and I'm just so grateful for that. But I want to keep you lifted up, Roger. And uh, Doris Saunders uh, passed away uh, recently. I don't know if you guys remember Doris or not, but um, it's been a number of years since she's been able to be with us. And she's been down in Kentucky, but uh, please just keep her family lifted up. And I also want to mention Gail Hill passed away this week. And, you know, Gail has been very, very much on our hearts and in our prayers. And her struggle is, has been uh, kind of up and down. And um, we really didn't know where this would land. And the Lord uh, said, Gail, it's time to come home. And when I spoke to her a while back, she said she had peace and that she was talking to God throughout the day. And I think it's just a resuming of that conversation now face to face. So in some ways, it's a celebration. It's a relief, I know, and if God says, I'm not going to heal you, then I'm going to give you the ultimate healing. So um, we are grateful for all the ways that you guys have lifted her up because it's made a difference. It really has uh, in her life. Uh, so I guess with all that, uh, is there anything that you have brought into this room that's weighing on you that we can be praying for? Because we certainly want to do that, and if you don't want to mention it, um, you can scan your QR code on your, on your announcements, and it'll take you to a page where you can just fill out, hey, I got this need, can you guys be praying? And we will. You can also use Connect Card, you can contact one of us, but the point is, we want to make sure that if you have a need that you want us to pray for, that we can do that for you, because we believe prayer does change things, and, um, and, and that's just the bottom line. So any, anybody got anything that's weighing on you? Okay, Diane, what's going on? Oh, that is a praise for sure. Okay. Yeah, um, Layla's had her challenges, and she, she has done us proud. So we want to celebrate that. That's a good thing. Okay. Anyone else? All right. Well, let's go ahead and bow then, and we'll take this time before the Lord as we lift these up. Father, it is, um, it is really a privilege to be able to gather with your people, the people that are called to be with you for eternity. And we are called to be a family together for eternity. As strange as that sounds, Lord, we know that you're in the process of 
making us a prepared people while at the same time you're using us and all of our imperfections, our weaknesses, our shyness, everything that um, says, hey, I can't do that. You're saying to us, but you can through Christ. And so I just pray for us as a body as we think about our lives together, but our role and our responsibility as you have called us to be salt and light to the world and to be active in ministries of our own that express your purposes through our lives and the joy that comes alongside that, Father, knowing that you are in that mix and we, we can just feel that as palpable. Uh, so, Father, thank you for your spirit enabling us to offer our giftings for your service. And thank you, Father, for the people that you've put in, in front of us that we can minister to. So we just pray for uh, us as a body as we gather for our fellowship next week that you would just enable those conversations to be healthy, to be life-giving, to be encouraging to one another. And help us to be those people where um, when we're apart from one another, we miss being with our, our church family. And help us to be those people that when we serve the community for Thanksgiving, that we can just be a blessing. And I hope that the signposts of our lives reflect uh, uh, back to you. And we ask, Father, that you would help us in the preparation of these events that are both kind of internal and, and kind of external, but in all ways, um, you're wanting to bring as many people to bear uh, upon those situations so that you can be seen and you can shine. We pray, Father, that as uh, people around us that we uh, are, 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 are recognizing the, the hurt and the grief and the pain, we pray that you would help us to be voices of encouragement, but also to be the people that um, are lifting them up in their grief and to know that in a time of letting go, uh, that there is this hope beyond this life that um, is centered in your son, who is the giver of life and breath and eternal life. We pray, Father, for um, just uh, the different needs that are in the room. If they're COVID-related, we ask that you would just protect health and that you would bring healing in a, in a, in a timely manner and that you would encourage those who are going through it to just persevere and know that your strength is, is, is available. We pray, Father, for those who have uh, celebrated procedures that have gone well and now are starting to recover and enjoy health. And we pray, Father, for those that um, are spiritually looking for healing, and we ask that you help us to be uh, agents in that process for one another. So whatever it is that you are doing in this room, which we trust is a lot, uh, we ask that you administer to every heart here in the way that we need it, that you would speak to us through uh, your messenger, myself, in this, in this moment, uh, in a way that um, uh, your voice is heard and that I'm uh, faithful to uh, the way that I express your intent. Uh, so, Father, as we just take all of these things and we summarize them in Christ, we place them at your feet. And then we ask you to help our hearts and minds to be tuned to your will and your purpose as we pray together the Lord's Prayer. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. All right, well, if you have your Bibles, we are looking at Daniel chapter 3. And I'm glad you guys are... um, are, are engaging with the study. I know uh, most of them have disappeared off the table, and in the course of the week, we're just asking that you'll spend Monday through Friday uh, going through the devotional time, and hopefully it will help you to, to kind of uh, have a good perspective on how you live your life in 2022 relative to a world that is really blatantly disregarding the existence of Christ and what that means for a believer. Uh, it's not easy. It's not easy saying, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. And it's not easy living in the world that we're called to live in because it puts so many demands on us. And I honestly believe that as we go through the book of Daniel, it helps us to process what we have to face in the, in the, in the six days outside of this place. It is a source that uh, is timeless because the Bible isn't a book about Uh, telling us about history, it just tells us what happens repeatedly throughout history. The same patterns over and over of how people try to remain faithful while at the same time deal with pressures and tests and trials and temptations that, that try to pull us away. And Part of my job as a pastor is to, is to help you navigate that, to equip you for that, and to trust that beyond this room, you're taking something into the space that we're called to live in that's going to help you with everything that you face, every relationship you have, everything that um, comes up sideways that you said, I didn't see that coming. And I believe that these chapters are going to help us be uh, tuned to how to respond. So we're going to look at Daniel. It's been, I think, real interesting from my point of view uh, to go through this book so far because uh, there's a lot of drama. There's a lot going on. And even in writing about it, I feel like, man, I'm just scratching the surface. But um, let's just take a look. Um, In Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, we're going to just read through verse 7 for starters uh, because I think it's just, there's just so much here. So here we go. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, and that is about the distance from your, the end of your finger to your elbow. So whatever that is, maybe 18 or so inches. So multiply that times uh, whatever number you're given. And, you know, for me, I got to use a phone. So there you go. And it's breadth um, uh, six cubits. And he set it up, okay, so let's just say 90 feet high and nine feet wide um, on the plain of Dura. Uh, in the province of Babylon. Then, then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors. Let's just stop for a minute. How many of you have ever voted for a satrap? I didn't think so. Me, me neither. But those are provincial rulers, kind of a large space that's larger than just a state, for example, province. Uh, So these are pretty important figures that are probably next to the king as far as their power. So all these guys, uh, treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication 
of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Okay, take a deep breath, because here we go again. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, and the magistrates, and all the officials, don't forget them, of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Didn't we just hear that? And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, languages, pretty much everybody in the empire, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, of course, the trigon and the harp and the bagpipe and every other kind of music, you're to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Oh, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound, you can say it with me if you want, or you can just take a nap while I'm saying it. Horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every other kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that, I don't know if you heard this or not, King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, okay? Huh, man, that's pretty long-winded, isn't it? But it's actually long-winded for a reason, and we kind of get into that in the devotional a little bit. Uh, but for now, let's just take it as, as it is and, and focus on a couple of things. Now, last week we gathered, and the story kind of ended with the image of a, of a big statue that was uh, haunting the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar. And he had no recourse except to try to get somebody in the empire to explain it, and only one could because God enabled him. And we know that to be Daniel. And when Daniel interpreted the dream, it had you know, a head made of gold, and then the different uh, parts going all the way down to the feet were made of lesser materials, uh, concluding with feet of clay. And the idea was that these are all kingdoms, beginning with the kingdom of Babylon and then moving to Assyria, and the Romans and the Greeks, or the Greeks and the Romans, and there is this sense that all of these kingdoms, as powerful as they are, will have a life cycle. There will be a time when they are the world empire, and then there will be a time when they're starting to fade away. And, of course, we've lived for 200 years with this sense that we're a unique country, and in many ways we have qualities that are very different than what we know historically. But there's been this sense in the last 100 years that we've been the empire, and now there's a sense that, well, we're not living in that moment anymore. That we're kind of in that languishing phase where the glory is starting to fade significantly. And all that this points out to you and I is that kingdoms have a life cycle. Countries have a life cycle. Everything that is established by the engineering of man has a beginning, middle, and end. And this was the point that Daniel's trying to make to King Nebuchadnezzar with the thought that Nebuchadnezzar would see where this is pointing to, and that is the idea that there is a king and a kingdom that will be represented by a very unique king that will come and he will basically 
destroy all of those other kingdoms in a way that will last forever. And that's code language for what we read in the Gospels. Because for almost 18 months, we've been going through the book of Luke. And there probably hasn't been a Sunday go by that we haven't talked about the kingdom. And the kingdom that is depicted in this dream that is based on a stone that is the cornerstone is actually the kingdom that Jesus came proclaiming some 500 years later after we read this for the first time. And with that said, that gap between then and the time of Jesus, people had to trust that God was up to something. And the book of Daniel was written sometime in that in-between period, not just for people that were in Daniel's moment, but it was written for people like you and I who would read it later on. And because the Bible points to history constantly repeating to the things that people are always going through that are the same, Daniel helps us to process that. And it centers on that king that is coming, and in our case, the king who has come and has begun to establish things. So we're actually in a better position here. When we look at these guys, though, we take a lot of courage from knowing that they face some pretty formidable challenges. And Nebuchadnezzar heard the dream, he praised God, and then, well, the next move is, yeah, I kind of don't know if I agree with that 100%. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to make a statue, probably kind of like the statue that was in the dream, only this one is going to be all gold. That way, when the stone comes, we won't have to worry about that. And in his mind, it was like, yeah, God, he has the ability to give me dreams, but I'm still in control. And there's the problem right there. He recognized the power of God's ability to do that specific thing, but not to rule overall. And so he's still trusting that the Babylonian way is the conclusion of the pinnacle of humanity. And it centers on himself and an image that is 90 feet high, and the way that he is keeping Babylon on the right track is to take that image and call for a regular worship activity that will be a celebration of that image, which was likely him or pointing to him. And as we do that, we have to bow down and we have to worship it and we have to say, we give allegiance to this. Now, you remember that phrase, Nebuchadnezzar set up. It was his way of saying, I am engineering the worship service. I am designing it. I am taking all the components so that when you gather, they will all work towards me. Now, the fact of the matter is, I don't know if you realize it or not, but when we gather, we're kind of doing the same thing. We are worshiping an image. Only it's the image that Scripture says is the image of God in Christ. And when we worship Christ, in a sense, it is the type of worship that Jesus set up. It's the type of worship that centers our lives around him, as we sang. And everything that we think about 
regarding his character and his purpose and his mission. As we worship him, those things flow back into how we look at life. And if there was one thing that Nebuchadnezzar wanted to do was have everybody look at life as it was depicted by his own life. He was the earthly rep representation of divinity. And if you were going to worship him, then you were actually worshiping the Babylonian way. And what else is interesting about this is he said all the nations. And he would say this, if you're from another nation and you worship a God from that nation, please, by all means, worship that God. But know this, myself, as I represent who God is in the Babylonian imagination, will have precedence over your God. It's kind of like a religious pluralism sort of thing where, yeah, you can worship your God as long as it doesn't conflict with what I say as the ruler of the state, okay? Now, you see where this is going? Because there are people that run the country that we live in that do not worship our God, okay? It doesn't mean that, well, they're off worshiping some other God. They may or may not be. But all I'm saying is this. So much about our worship is reflecting a kind of value that says these are the kind of people that we are. We're people that are called to love. We're people that are called to forgive. We're people that are called to reconcile. We're people that are called to be selfless for other people. We are people that are called to look at each other as not a set of different uh, uh, tiers of, of, of significance and worth and value, but to see each other as made in God's image and likeness. And so there isn't a person that walks in our door that could say, I'm worse or better than you. Everybody walks in with equal footing under the feet of Jesus. And that's the difference. However, one of the challenges that pastors like myself are helping the people who are sitting in the pews like yourself to understand is that we are living in a moment that is not necessarily open to the pathways of Christianity, the way of life as a Christian. And what form that takes, you know, time will tell. But in the end, it may mean there's a conflict between what you believe here and what you're called to believe and do there. All right? Um, so we're just going to leave it at that because Nebuchadnezzar says, my ideas actually supersede everybody else's ideas. You can keep your ideas. As long as they're not in conflict with mine, we're good. There's a problem here because Nebuchadnezzar had found some people that were brought in from the exile. Because his goal was, I'm going I'm to be king of the empire, which he established. And the known world was really under his rule. You know, it was like when you go to Canada or you go to New Zealand or you go to Australia or you go to a few other places, including used to be Hong Kong. The, the British would say, this is part of the British Empire. And you're under our rule. And you can do whatever you want to do, but do not conflict the rules of the empire. And that, in essence, was um, where Nebuchadnezzar was at. 
And he felt like, I'm calling everyone to understand this. And if it's too abstract for him, I want him to look at that image. And I want them to think about that in a way that is emblazoned in their psyche. That if they ever consider deviating from the way of the empire, well, then there's this other thing, you know, the fiery furnace, that thing. So feel free to worship. Come on in. Or if you don't, well, it's going to be a bad choice. So you can make the right choice or you can make the wrong choice. It's up to you to choose. No coercion here. But in effect, it's just a counterfeit form of worship. It is a way of saying, hey, we're going to do this all so that it looks like it's all above board. Everybody's here. All the right people are here. The, the civic elites are here. It's all good. This is a special thing. Oh, by the way, every one of you has a gun to your head. Other than that, it's great. And, you know, that's one of the differences between the way of worship that Christianity offers never under coercion if it becomes under coercion it's not from jesus well unless it's your parents you know saying you better go but that's different and the way of worship that says you better do this or there will be consequences that's demonic that is really how the devil works but in fact if you ever look at the devil his playbook isn't like hey i'm going to make up my own path it's always a counterfeit to what god is doing it's not even original in that way. He just takes the design that God sets up and he says, I'm going to co-opt that and we're going to do it my way. But the difference is the character of the two beings. One is for us. One, at the end of the day, is against us. And then there's these people that came from the Holy Land, that place that uh, used to be Judea, but is now just part of my empire. Those guys. I kind of like them because I know where they're coming from. When they tell me something, they're not going to tell me, they're not going to make something up. They're pretty straight from the shoulder people, and that's refreshing because most of the time people that I'm surrounded by just tell me what I want to hear. But these guys, they're respectful, but they also tell me how it is. And he trusted them so much because they were so different, because they were honest people. He said, I'm going to put you in charge of stuff because I'll know what's going on because I know that you guys, you shoot straight. And he did that. And he's all excited about how he's leveraging all of these talents and resources from all over the empire for his own purpose as he's training them. But what he's finding out is you can't, you can't untrain the convictions that these three guys have. And we're about to have a standoff here, and it is a friendly reminder to anybody that wants to take seriously their allegiance to God that that day may come. And if it does, the book of Daniel is your book. So let's continue on with the story a little bit. So... Daniel's um, friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, had a bunch of co-workers 
who were not happy with the fact that these young upstarts, and they're pretty young, 15 to 18 years of age, probably about 18 by this time, they've gone through the training, and they're given responsibilities that are way beyond their age or maturity or capacity, and matter of fact, they're just jealous. And they're looking for a way, because the way their world works, it is I'm either ahead of you or I'm behind you. You're either better than me or I'm worse than you. And they measured themselves relative to where other people were at. In their mind, those three got ahead of them, and they didn't like it, and they want to reestablish something. So they're just looking. You ever have that person in, in your world that's just kind of looking for you to trip up so they can call you out on it? And the idea is I'm calling you out so that I can elevate myself while I can diminish yourself. I have to tell you something. If you've been following us in the kingdom, that is not how the kingdom works. It's not about elevating one so that the other one can be pushed down. It's about elevating everyone in Christ. Very different. And a very different kind of culture of people that you'll run into who play by those two different rules. You know, when Jesus came and when his mother even prophesied, the weak and the lowly and the poor, they're going to be lifted up. And the people that are, are in, in power, they're going to be brought down. And there's this sense that Jesus is saying, I'm bringing back, reestablishing the equality of our humanity as we're made in God's image under the lordship of Christ. But that's kind of sidebar for what we're trying to accomplish here. Because what we want to look at is the fact that these guys are jealous, they're hateful, they're vindictive, and they're just looking for you to mess up. And sure enough, well, they had their opportunity. These guys messed up because they're paying attention to the fact that they're not even there. And so this thing is uh, not going the way the king wants it to go, and we got to bring things into order. So nothing against those guys, but hey, we got to go, we got to inform King Nebuchadnezzar. He got some people that they obviously didn't get the memo. You need to just tell them, hey, hey guys, uh, we're worshiping this over here. And they knew, they knew what effect that would have. And they were just over there like, we can't wait. So here they were. And they said, there are certain Jews whom you, whom you, you, they're making you look bad have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, meaning that they're satraps, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. And so you can see the egos start to come in. And they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What are you going to do about it? I mean, that's what's being shouted here. What are you going to do about it? Well, we turn the page, and uh, we start to see this unfold. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, well, after the king inquired them and said, I don't understand. Why is it that I thought we were in a good place? I thought that everything was aligned. And I really believe that, hey, you worship your God, that's fine. He's good at dreams, that's great. But you've left something out that is very critical here for this thing to work. And that's what we've just sat up. 
We've just established a form of worship, and you are non-participants. I'm not happy about this, but we're friends, so let's talk about it. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, not um, your majesty, your highness, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, um, we don't have to answer you in this matter. Okay, let's just stop and think about who we're talking to here. The known world emperor. Hey, hey, dude. We're not going to answer you in the way you want to hear. Now, would you do that? Honestly, would you do that? Would you say that? Would you have the gumption to say that? I mean, Denzel Washington would say that, right? And he'd pull it off, I'm sure. Well, I don't know if I could do that or not. But they did, and they said, but where did that come from? You know, one reason why we like the Denzel Washingtons of, 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 the, you know, of, the, of the screen is because they seem to have something going on inside of them that says there's some fortitude there. There's some deep conviction. They're standing on something, and man, don't cross them. Well, that's exactly where these guys were coming from. And they essentially said, you may be a king, but in this conversation... The real king is the unseen party in this, in, in this mix. And you're just one of us. At the end of the day, you are just one of us. You've been given gifts. You've been given responsibility. You've been given power. But we know where those came from, don't we? And he's like, I'm not sure what you're talking about. But that's the subtext of this whole thing. And they said, we don't have a need to answer you in this matter because we're ultimately not answering to your authority but to his. If this be so, that is, if you're going to chuck us into the fiery furnace, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. Catch that? If you're sleeping, I want to make sure you got it. So let's say this together, okay? Our God, start over, okay? The pastor's saying, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. Very good, okay. I think that um, that statement right there is an incredible statement. Perhaps one of the most incredible statements in the whole book, maybe even in the entire Bible, for all I know, except for the stuff about Jesus. That is dynamite, because it is a trust that God is in control of whatever circumstances, no matter how unbelievably difficult, it's a trust. But our God, very personal language, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. So now they're offering little respect here. But it's not before they, in, they introduce the notion of our God who's king over you. But here's the kicker right here. This is the phrase that I think rocks the book of Daniel. Because there's something about what this means 
that really settles a lot or unsettles a lot in every one of us. Because it's essentially saying, my relationship with God is not conditioned on him doing things the way that I want or expect him to do. Okay? In other words, let me just break it down a little further. God, if you will do this for me, I will do that for you. How many of us have prayed those prayers? Please, God, if you would just do that for them, I'll do this for you. Let's just own it. I know I've done that before. And God's looking at us and he's saying, that's not really where I'm coming from on this. It isn't a transactional thing. You give me something of value and then I'll give you something of equal or greater value. And I believe that a lot of us get hung up on our relationship with God because we feel like he's let us down. He's disappointed us. He hasn't done things the way we thought that he would do them. We're out. And the hardest thing that I have to sort of pastor people along into is the fact that God's ways sometimes are mysterious. But God is still trustworthy. And God promises that he will work things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He promises us that. But he promises us a whole lot more that we're going we're gonna to just walk into here in just a minute. But that phrase, but if not, that is, if he doesn't show up and deliver us from the fiery furnaces of your hell, it's okay. Because we're not going to serve you or your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. We're just not going to do it. If God chooses to show up and deliver us, which he is able, but rather opts to let us suffer, we're good. We're totally at peace. And there's something about the timeline of a life of a believer where all of us come to the Lord deathly afraid of that one inevitability. Death. What happens if I die? I don't want to die. I'm going to try to do everything I can to avoid dying. And that's the one thing. I'm not afraid of much, but that's the thing that just gets me sideways. Somewhere along the way, Jesus says, if anybody's going to come after me, he's got to deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In a sense, he's saying, you got to trust me in all things. Or he's saying, you got to die to yourself so that you can follow me. And some people, they hit the wall there and they say, I'm not, I, I like my Christianity just the way it is. I like it where I worship God. I feel good. I've got a nice community of people. But I'm also, I got stuff that I'm doing that I'm, you know, that I, I don't want him to be a part of that. And when Jesus says, follow me, he's saying, I want allegiance, complete allegiance. And there's a part of us that says, ah, I don't think so. But there's some of us who have said, I've been through fiery furnaces enough to see that God shows up. That he's faithful. That oftentimes I'm under, undeserving of it. 
But in some way, if I've trusted him in the midst of it, he's gotten me through it. And my confidence in his ability to show up or to do whatever it is he, call, he says he's going to do increases. You start to develop a personal relationship in a way where more and more you're just seeing him show up in all kinds of parts of your life. And as that happens, it's like something in your heart begins to attach to him in a way that relationally says, I'm his and he's mine. And like every good relationship, every healthy relationship, even when I counsel people for a marriage, I don't say it's a 50-50 thing. You bring 50%, they'll bring 50%. If, that, if, that, if the counting books line up just right, you guys are going to be good. No, you bring yourself, they bring their self, and we're not always going to bring our best self into it. And they're not always going to bring their best self into it. And sometimes we're given more and they're given less. And sometimes they're given more and we're given less. It's really a transformational relationship that's based not on accounting practices, but on the very love of God that God has for us as his created beings made in his image that says, I love you regardless of the mess that you're in. My biggest challenge is to get you out of that mess and the way of thinking that got you there to begin with. And so God's calculus for love, for relationships, is transformational. It's not transactional. And in their mind, our God has been with us back in the Holy Land. God is with us when we were trudging over to Babylon, hundreds of miles away. God's been with us so far. And why in the world would we even think about saying, hey, God, we're done with you now because we got to worship these gods and this image and do this stuff. I mentioned this in the devotional, and this is the only way I can really describe it. Do you remember a day when you had garbage in your garbage can that was just so absolutely disgusting? You're like, can I just get one of the kids to take it out? Okay. Now imagine that was your choice for dinner. Or um, I took my daughter to 40, not to plug any place, but took her to 4010 restaurant up in Boardman Friday, had best steak in a long time. I'm like, oh, this is just so divine. In their mind, to worship the golden image, to follow that God would be like eating that garbage because they've been eating that awesome blackened steak. When it comes to their relationship with God, their experience has been so positive that they're like, we've actually made our peace with death. It's not that big of a deal because God's going to deliver us from even that. I'll just share, as a missionary, I had to go through this whole process in South Africa when it was right at the time Mandela was taking over and there was a lot of social upheaval. People were describing bank robberies, carjackings, kidnappings, rape, murder, you name it. And we happened to live in Johannesburg and all that stuff was happening. I kind of went through a crisis moment where I'm like, hey, you know what? I, I, I could probably die here. And it was sort of like, I just am struggling with this. And I finally just had to resolve what missionaries will tell you, that thing you have to resolve. You got to make your peace with death. 
and you just got to relax. You may not go back to the United States, and you got to make your peace with that. And there was something liberating about saying, I'm okay with that. In my gut, at my deepest levels, I'm okay with it. I don't want to die, but I just don't fear it anymore. And these guys, I know they had that probably in ways that I can't even describe. And they essentially said, I'm not letting go of my God, no matter what. And if there's ever a phrase that haunts a believer, it is that but if not phase, phrase, because God doesn't always rescue us from death. Accept the resurrection. Otherwise, the good news is just its own version of bad propaganda. The Apostle Paul writes. So this is a critical juncture in the book because some of us have even had to make that decision. Is there anything that would prevent me from saying yes to God that the world is saying that I have to do? And in this case, it was the threat of a very nasty form of death. And I pray that none of us ever have to get to that place. But I ask that all of us have this sense that our God is able, no matter what we're going through. But even if not, we're still going to trust him. And that isn't an easy place to land at, but I would say mature believers get to that space and they're okay with it. Let's move on into the story because we just got a couple of minutes here. And, and so Nebuchadnezzar, uh, filled with fury and the expression of his face changed against these guys. And so he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times more than it was usually heated. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flames of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose up in haste and he ordered to his counselors, or declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire and they answered and said to the king, true, O king, uh, just three, there's four in there, because he answers, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not even hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High, come out. And the satraps and the Mish, and, and, and so they came out, and the, then all these people here that we've been talking about, they're like, what's going on? And they're not happy because this is not what they planned. And God's thwarting the evil deeds of evildoers in ways that point to his reality and glory. Because in this case, he delivers in such a way that there is no singeing, there's no smelling, there's nothing. And it's an amazing story. And because of that, um, it's a story that is read 
over and over and over. Partly because of what happens next. And that is Nebuchadnezzar, upon seeing this, goes back to that place where he declares the praises of God for showing up, and this is what we read, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command. There's the rub. And yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree. He just loves to make decrees. Any, anybody that um, speaks against those guys' gods shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able, who is able to rescue in this way. And then he went on to promote these guys. And the other people that wanted to see him dead, they celebrated and were happy. Now they just went back and tried to find some more knives to throw at these guys, and it continues on. Now, what are the takeaways from all of this? I want to offer this uh, in brief, and that is the Apostle Paul, as well as Peter, have their own way of verbalizing this reality. The fiery furnace will show up on our path routinely. It will happen. There's no escaping the fiery furnace. You've been, you, many of you have been through them. Some of you maybe are going through one right now. There are realities that we have to face that are so overwhelming that we have no idea how we're going to get through it. And I think that God understands that completely based on what the story tells us. So much so that we wonder sometimes if Jesus, the good shepherd that we worship and celebrate, is really shepherding our lives. But that image is so important because it's believed by the early church and the church historically that that fourth person was actually the pre-incarnate Jesus. He's just basically providing an umbrella of protection, which is what the kingdom does. In many ways, it gives us an umbrella of protection now, don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean that it's going to be perfectly blissful. It just means that he's watching over us. He's going to give us a peace that passes all understanding. Usually in the fiery furnace, which will happen routinely for believers. So don't blame God when the fiery furnace happens, okay? Because I know that'll be our first thing is, where's God? And I don't say that lightly. I say that with pastoral sensitivity. Because I can't tell you the number of people who've said, i kind of given up on God. If something bad happened, I'm just disappointed. I wish I could just embed in their psyche this. This will happen despite the fact that God saved you. Second thing, the fiery furnace reveals what's inside of me. He actually lets us go through these things to see where we're at. Are we in total freakout mode? Are we in stoic mode, like I'm just going to suck it up and white-knuckle it? Are we in a place where we say, I'm at peace with it. i got to deal with it. I'll process it one step at a time. But I'll process it knowing that God is with me. Because I know God has a larger purpose in this. And chances are, the stuff inside of you and the stuff inside of me 
does not come out unless we're being tested. And if I've ever seen people get tested, it's been in the last year. I've seen all kinds of stuff come to the surface. That's what an apocalyptic moment is. It tells people, hey, this has been going on inside of you the whole time, but you've been able to kind of keep it undercover. But the stress of the moment has brought out the worst of what's inside of us. That's not a bad thing. I want to clarify that. That is not a bad thing. That is God's way of saying, I'm just showing you stuff that's at work inside your heart that we've got to work on for you to be who we need you to be. I'm not going to hate on you. I'm not going to say, oh, you're bad or you need to be filled with shame or guilt or whatever. I'm just saying I'm bringing it to the surface because I want you to name it and then I want to be able to come alongside you and diminish its effect on your life in a way that you become who you're supposed to become. And there are Christians who have said, God, you're kind of getting me. Kind of getting me. I ran away from it. I pushed it down, tried to suppress it. But this is one of those weird Bible moments where God's saying, no, we're not doing that right now. We were doing that before. We're not doing that now. We're pushing that to the surface. And that's why it's hard for me to be a pastor right now to you guys because stuff comes to the surface. And sometimes I'm sort of the scapegoat. I don't mind being the scapegoat as long as I know that this next thing has happened. You are becoming somebody. Because God is always with us in the furnace. He's always with us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're off in the distance playing bingo somewhere. No. You're right here. You're with me. And repeatedly, we get this sense that God doesn't always take the fiery furnace away from us, but we do rather understand with increasing clarity that while we are in the fiery furnace, he's there with us. He is there with us. And God is always at work under every opportunity that he possibly can to help us to become the people that we're supposed to be. But we're messy people. We got a lot of conflict inside of us at times. And God is saying, that's okay. I'm a patient God. I love you more than you'll ever know. And some of the stuff we're going through is very painful, but trust me, I am with you. I will get you through this. And somewhere along the way, the maturity of these guys at the level that they were at was pretty impressive. I have to think they had some people investing as little kids their way of life in a way that embodied that way of life so we could see it on display in their own lives. I believe that people was their church growing up. What is the difference today? Because we don't know what those guys are going to be facing. We really don't. And my concern is if it does turn in that direction, we've done our due diligence. So props to whoever invested and spoke into those three guys' lives. Here's the last thing, and then I know I've gone way over. I apologize for that. God is looking at making us into different kinds of people. 
And that's what spiritual maturity is all about. Your spiritual maturity and my spiritual maturity is directly connected to the amount of time between hearing what you're hearing in church today and with the Word of God and learning to trust it and do it as it comes out of your being. I remember reading that phrase, but if not in seminary. And I'm like, I don't think I could do that. But now I, I, I think I'm better equipped for it. Definitely don't want a fiery furnace of that nature to show up. But I have to think that habitually, routinely, practicing your faith as you live it out in a community of people is the way that you get there. And I hope that we can be that kind of people as a church. It is the concern and the burden of the staff and the elders of this church that within our own limitations, we can draw that out of you and help you see that. But with that said, I'm going to conclude this message and trust that God is at work in it, that seeds have been planted, plants have been watered, and fruit's emerging. Wherever you're at in that developmental cycle. But I also want you to know that whatever you're going through, don't think that God's not paying attention because he is. He is. And he's here to lead you through it if you trust him along the way. And we're here, I hope, to encourage you alongside the burden that you're carrying. And that's all we can offer but God is able to offer everything else that you want. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that as we read this story, and it just is a precursor to your coming into the world, it reminds us of how faithful you were back then to people that honored you with a limited amount of understanding, but yet trusting that you are there because they trusted you personally. And I pray, Father, that as we continue to engage with your son in our lives apart from this building where we say prayers of thanksgiving of blessing for other people prayers that say help me through this thing that i'm going through help me with this thing that seems so mundane but we know you want to lord i just pray that you will come alive in the lives of the people your church here as i lift them up to you and if there's anybody here lord that is not in a place where their allegiance has been transferred away from the things of the world towards your son, I pray, Father, that you would use us to come alongside in a way that they can experience that freedom and peace that only Christ can offer. So work in every heart here that is in that place, I pray in Jesus' name. Go ahead and open your uh, communion if you like. Had a great day yesterday with uh, grandkids, neighbor kids, their friends, parents down at the Laytonia Sportsman's Club, the event they put on for all the kids. And uh, maybe it was my punishment, but because one of them didn't win a trophy, they thought that they deserved to go to the Dairy Queen. So we all headed down to the Dairy Queen with Opa, and uh, lo and behold, as we're all sitting at one table, and I was amazed that 
the Dairy Queen was packed because at the same time Latonia had their street fair. There wasn't a seat to be had besides where we were in the Dairy Queen. And uh, this young man walked in and he came over to my daughter-in-law and he said, hi, Mrs. Coffey, do you remember me? She said she did, but I knew she didn't. <laughs> I straightened her out on that too. But see, uh, this young man announced to the entire Dairy Queen that he had just become a Christian. And it gives me goosebumps to just think of yesterday and what he, what he said. But he said he had tried everything. He cut his hair, he cut his beard. He removed all his piercings. He tried sanding off tattoos. Uh, he had done everything. And finally he said that I just knew that I still wasn't right with God, so I asked him into my life. And uh, it was just amazing, you know, to see <clears throat> my young grandkids absorbing everything that this guy said. He, he probably stood at the end of the table and talked for 20 minutes. And most of the people that were in there were listening to what he said, too. It was the amazing thing. And uh, so through all this, he said he finally had to leave because his little brothers that were with him had eaten his lunch <laughs> and also his dad's lunch. So... He had to get something and get home. But uh, he said his final words as he left, he said, I can't wait to go to church tomorrow and give thanks. When he had finally accepted Christ, he said, my life is forever changed. His mother was suffering from two different types of cancer at the same time. She's doing fine now. And uh, what, a, what a testimony. But when he said he couldn't wait to go to church today and give thanks and to take communion. And I just hope as we approach the table today that we can all have that same frame of mind to be that grateful. So if you would join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give, we give thanks today. Uh, we give thanks that you went to the cross on our behalf for the remission of our sins when all we have to do is ask and attempt to live according to your will. We thank you for this loaf and cup, your body and blood that was shed for us, for the pain and suffering that you went through. And I just pray, Lord, that uh, as we go forth this week, give us the same enthusiasm that Gabe has as a new Christian. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. closing song. Uh, if you need to get going or got kids, feel free. Uh, if you have to go to your class, that's fine. But uh, like I said, you can stand and
is more where grace is found is where you are where you are Lord I'm free holiness is Christ in me Lord I need that with you as you go and sing that self sing that to yourself all week stay dry i don't know if it's raining anymore but uh we'll see you next time